Hello and welcome to this podcast, Raptor Rambles, brought to you by Raptor Aid, a UK-based charity that focuses on bird of prey conservation and education. I'll be your host, Jimmy Hill, founder of Raptor Aid, and I look forward to sharing lots of interesting things about the world of birds of prey with you. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Raptor Rambles. Thank you very much for joining us again. My name is Jimmy Hill and I'll be your host. And on this episode we are talking to Jose Tavares, director of the wonderful organization VCF the Vulture Conservation Foundation now some of you who follow the news may have heard of the VCF because they are the organization that monitors the vultures across Europe and is very heavily involved in all the conservation efforts for vultures across Europe but the reason they've been in UK news is because they are also involved in the monitoring of the bearded vulture that flew across the channel this summer and gave everyone a little bit of a lockdown lift by spending the summer in the Derbyshire uh, Peak District and then moved back down south and said bon voyage and headed back to the Alps where it had originally been monitored and where it actually hatched from a nest. And we'll hear all about that individual from Jose, but also he's going to tell us all about the fantastic work that they've been doing, not just on bearded vultures, but also three other species of vultures and it's a real positive for vultures listening to Jose telling us how they've done a really fantastic job at actually reversing declines and stabilising populations for vultures in Europe. Often when we talk about vultures, we, we hear all the doom and gloom of poisonings. And uh, there's still issues across Europe, but I'm really pleased to say that the VCF are doing a fantastic job, as you'll find out listening to Jose Tavares in this interview. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. If you'd like to give us a subscribe or a share or a like, we'd very much appreciate that. And of course, if there's anyone you'd like us to interview that you think we've missed out the list, please do let us know because we will be trying to send these podcasts out about every three weeks. So watch this space and enjoy the interview. Hello, welcome everyone to the third episode of Raptor Rambles podcast and uh, tonight I'm very, very pleased to welcome Jose Tavares who's the director of the Vulture Conservation Foundation and I was really keen to get Jose on because vultures have been quite prominent in the news over here in the UK and we'll come on to that, especially our the bearded vulture that wandered across to the British shores. So that was that was why I was really keen to get him on. But also because I followed the work of the VCF for for a number of years now, and I've I'm, I've probably pestered Jose on several occasions when he's busy just picking his brain about the fantastic work they do. So Jose, thank you very much for coming on. I know you've had a busy day today, um, but we'll, we can oh, come oh. on to that as well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, uh, you know, for uh, the opportunity to talk with you, Jimmy. It's a pleasure. So we always start the same. And uh, with these interviews, I I like to find out about you, an individual, because we get a lot of people with Raptor Aid. I find a lot of people who follow us are budding raptor biologists or conservationists and they they often what goes down really well is finding out about you know how you got into 
conservation. And I know from doing a little bit of background reading, I now know that you're not a retired pro footballer. Um, but I do know that you, <laughs> you've, been, you've worked for the RSPB. So anyway, tell us about where the passion for uh, wildlife starts. doesn't have to be birds of prey. And then we'll, we'll roll on through right the way through to, yeah, your PhD and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, in fact, I, I cannot really call myself a, a you know, a raptor biologist or, or a raptor person. Uh, I am above all um, an ornithologist, a, you know, a bird watcher, a conservationist. Uh, I've started uh, watching birds in Portugal. I, I, I was born in Portugal uh, as a teenager. Uh, it was actually, I, I always had an interest on, on, on wildlife. I used to follow the, the wildlife programs on TV, uh, but it was not very structured, but they, they always like that and it was actually when Christmas uh, my parents offered me a pair of binoculars uh, and with that pair of binoculars suddenly uh, birds became accessible and, and close and I became I became a, a bird watcher uh, so you know throughout my teens I was just a normal bird watcher just going out towards some birds in uh, in my own village which is in uh, coastal uh, northern Portugal fortunately very close to a very large estuary so very very a very nice place to watch birds lots of waders lots of seabirds um, uh, and uh, and then I decided uh, naturally to do biology uh, for university because that was that became a passion um, uh, and in, indeed, I went to, to Lisbon University where I did biology uh, and within biology, I then uh, decided that I, uh, I would very much like to work with, uh, with birds. Uh, once uh, university uh, finished, uh, there was the opportunity for me to do a PhD in the UK um, on, on ornithology uh, and, and therefore I took, uh, I took that opportunity. So I spent uh, about uh, four years in Nottingham. Uh, the University of Nottingham, where, where indeed I did um, uh, my, my PhD, it was um, it was more on a you know a pure scientific um, uh, subject uh, rather than a conservation subject. I, I, I studied birdsong uh, and I used the, the, the well the common great tit as my study species. Um, uh, it was it was very interesting. I did quite a lot of field work in the in the woods around around Nottingham, uh, you know, coloring the the, the great tits and putting a lot of nest boxes for them to for them to to um, uh, to nest. And, and I was recording them at the same time. And then I was comparing um, the their song with their breathing fitness uh, and the dynamics of the population and so on. But uh, when, um, when the PhD finished, um, I, uh, I was a little bit frustrated with, with pure science. Let's, let's put it this way. With, uh, it was very interesting and I learned a lot, um, but I felt a little bit that uh, uh, particularly a subject like birdsong was really not contributing to what I uh, I was uh, you know uh, uh, seeing already as a uh, as a crisis uh, you know uh, and the environmental crisis the biodiversity crisis and and I felt that if I continued with um, with you know an academic really an, an academic career. Uh, probably my my practical contributions to, to to try to solve that crisis would be very limited. So once the P, the PhD finished, I um, I decided to uh, not not to continue with uh, with an academic career and and really to to, to look for a job in conservation. Uh, and eventually, I 
uh, I worked, I, I, uh, I was hired by the RSPB, by the International Department of the RSPB, uh, where I worked in, indeed for, for 13 years, first based at the lodge. Uh, at uh, the RSV headquarters, uh, but then based abroad, um, and I, I was working in the international department of the RSVB, um, and what we were doing is we were um, supporting a number of um, bird life partners. The RSVB is the, the, the bird life partner in the UK, and it helps, uh, has been helping over the years, a number of bird life partners in, in, in a number of other countries in, in Europe, but also in Af Africa and Asia, um, uh, to, to develop projects, to implement projects, and to grow as, uh, as organizations, uh, so to support their, their, their organizational development so yeah. that they, um, they do valuable work uh, in, in, in those countries, which makes sense because, as you very well know, many of the UK birds or the, or the, or the birds breeding uh, in, in the summer in the UK. Uh, winter in the Mediterranean or winter in Africa, and therefore um, yeah, conservation needs to be tackled from from an international point of view, yeah, and, yeah. and therefore it's 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 right that the RSVB and others uh, do have got that um, interest uh, and that investment uh, abroad um, because uh, that's uh, that's the way uh, it is, and, and and that's exactly what uh, what is needed. So yeah, so I, I worked for 13 years in, in the RSVB, great organization. Um, We've done. We've implemented. I mean, uh, I, I I I then worked with five or six countries, developing and implementing um, bird conservation projects um, in in a wide range of countries, mostly around the the, the Mediterranean. And then, about seven years ago, uh, the opportunity came um, to uh, to join the the, the VCF. Um, I during my time at at the RSPB, uh, I started to. Um, uh, in fact, I was involved in a couple of vulture projects. Um, it was really my first direct involvement with with, with vultures and vulture projects, um, and I was I was I was interested uh, uh, and fascinated by some of the challenges and some of the issues uh, that uh, impact on, on on vultures, and then the opportunity came um, uh, to, to to work for the VCF, uh, um, and uh, I decided that that it was a, a challenge that it, you know was was worth. Uh, Worth taking and, and, and accepting. Uh, the the VCF um, is, uh, I mean, in fact, it is a, a relatively old organization, but that went through a, a you know a, a change about ten years ago. So when I when I came into the VCF, the VCF, the new VCF, was um, a relatively small organization, and in fact, the challenge that uh, that attracted me was to. Um, to take a relatively small organization uh, and and try to develop it yeah. uh, to to do valuable work with with vultures and I'll tell you just for five minutes and I've been talking a lot already. Yeah, right, I will on. give you. This is what we like. I will give I will give you opportunity to ask to ask questions. But I mean, so the the, the VCF the, the history of the VCF is um, is is very interesting. The, the history of the VCF started with the birded vulture, uh, formerly called Lamagaya. And now the, the the new official name is birded vulture. Um, it it is still our flagship species, and and um, uh, the birded vulture. Some of the our projects with birded vultures are our uh, you know most successful and, and flagship projects. But today the, the Vulture Conservation Foundation works on the four vulture species. Nevertheless, the the, the origin of the of the the, the, the VCF was uh, really in the 70s when a group of visionaries started to play with the idea of introducing the species 
the birded vulture back to the Alps. Birded vultures had disappeared from most of um, the European range. Yeah. Once upon a time, they ranged from, from Portugal and Spain all the way across to, to Mongolia and Central Asia through all the European mountain ranges. But um, they, were, they were persecuted, they were poisoned. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, uh, once, once upon a time, they, they almost totally disappeared from, from Europe. Only uh, three very small populations remained, uh, only one in mainland Europe in the Pyrenees, down to about 40 pairs, um, and then to two isolated island populations in Corsica and Crete. Um, so in, in, the, in the 70s, this was the scenario. The species had completely disappeared from the Alps. Uh, it was, you know, it went extinct in the Alps. So in the 1970s, a group of people uh, started with that with that new idea. Well, let's bring the species back to the Alps. Uh, the only way to do it, uh, because the species was very rare elsewhere, you cannot really um, you cannot really go and catch it and, and translocate it, um, would be to uh, to do it via captive breeding. So yeah. what they did is. Uh, with, with a grant actually from the Frankfurt Zoological Society, there were about uh, 40 uh, captive birded vultures uh, across Europe in zoos. And with some, uh, with some money from the Frankfurt Zoological Society, they managed to actually buy uh, those uh, 40 birded vultures uh, from the different zoos. Uh, and, and the idea was to, to, to establish, uh, start a, a captive breeding program for reintroduction. Uh, and for that, uh, they then decided to establish a, an international foundation to manage the captive stock. Uh, and they, they called it the, the, the Foundation for the Conservation of the Birded Vulture. And then, uh, indeed, the, the whole story started. So developing protocols, captive breeding protocols for the birded vulture. It's not that easy. Uh, there was not a lot of expertise and know-how in, in 1970. Now we know perfectly what you know what it needs to breed captive uh, birded vultures in, in captivity. But at the time we didn't know, so it was it was a long process. But that, that's how it all started. Um, and the idea the idea was really to 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 reintroduce them into into the Alps. And so and 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 so uh, and so the project started. And so the foundation started. And for um, for about 30 years, uh, it, uh, it, uh, start, you know, it started to breed uh, and, and, and bred, uh, bred vultures, eventually released the first ones in the Alps in 1986 um, and, and kept releasing them. Um, uh, and that project then became very successful because in 1997, uh, so 11 years after the first release, uh, the first pair of birded vultures bred uh, in the wild again in the Alps, and the population has grown ever since. Uh, last year, there were about 60 pairs uh, breeding in the Alps, uh, and and so on. Uh, but yeah, so the, the 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 foundation or the the origin of the foundation was the Alpine project. Until about 10 years ago, um, uh, the, the the people that were associated with the foundation decided that. Uh, uh, since that project was was really successful um, uh, uh, and was working very well, uh, that that we you know they could replicate it elsewhere in Europe in other mountain ranges, but they could also eventually uh, start working on the other vulture species. So they changed the name of the um, of the organization from you know International Foundation for the for the Conservation of the Birded Vulture to Vulture Conservation Foundation, um, and 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 therefore then hired me. Uh, to basically develop 
uh, this um, this foundation uh, into um, into to something uh, uh, effective and uh, um, uh, uh, that, that is working across across Europe and, and here we are today. We our team is now composed of fourteen people. Yep. Um, we have got people working in seven different countries across Europe, um, and we uh, we are really involved in about ten large-scale conservation projects with the four vulture species yep. uh, uh, from from Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, down to the Balkans um, and, and and Greece. So uh, that's that's in short uh, my story, uh, and uh, also a, a very you know in, in, a very summarized story of of, of the VCF so far. No, that's fantastic. That's that, we don't mind. It. This is exactly what. You make my life easier if you do all the talking. I don't have to ask too many questions. But I'm going to go back. I'm going to rewind um, to. Uh, I want to ask you about when you when you were in the UK. Obviously, you did your you, you did your PhD. Um, one of the questions I sometimes get asked by students when I talk to students is about working in foreign countries um, and and adapting and and. and Fitting. How did you find? How did you find it as, as someone from you know Portugal coming to the UK and, and obviously landing yourself a job in the RSPB, which as you said is a is a big organisation. So you know that's fantastic. So right, how did how did that work for you? Well, I mean it it, it worked it worked very well, um, but but it's true that it you know sometimes it's difficult. Um, uh, Obviously, you know we are we are all Europeans, uh, and therefore we we are. I think it could be much much more difficult if we were talking about you know us moving to to China or to uh, uh, or, or to uh, uh, a country in, in in another continent. But uh, you know, you know, having said this, of course there are cultural differences. The weather was rather dark and grey, and I I did miss uh, the the sunny blue skies of, of Portugal. The food was different. Uh, some of the cultural habits and the social habits were were were, were different as well. Um, but there were lots of very nice things in the UK. You know, the, the, some of the facilities, some of the infrastructure, some of the the, the organizations, the the, the the level of of, of uh, development of, of the NGO sector and, and so on, uh, which was extremely uh, ex extremely interesting to, to explore uh, and 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 to learn from. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think one needs to be adaptable. Um, and this is not this is not really only uh, relevant uh, to, um, uh, to 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 changing country, but this is actually relevant to to uh, to situations uh, and to actually uh, to actually you know contemporary uh, the contemporary age and contemporary time. I mean, the world is changing very fast. Uh, we are faced with. Um, we are faced with, uh, and, and I think we will even be faced with, uh, with a really rapidly changing situation uh, in, in, in the future. You know, we've got now the pandemic, uh, there is the climate change crisis, there's the biodiversity crisis, social upheaval, you know, economic crisis and economic cycles and so on. And I think um, one extremely important uh, characteristic uh, is, is the ability to adapt. 
to all these different circumstances. Sure, I mean, you know, we are not, uh, it, would, it would have been better if we didn't have the pandemic, but it's here, um, we need to adapt. Uh, we, we need to adapt. We need to to find ways of of living with it, uh, of of continuing uh, to to work and uh, uh, with, with with it. Um, uh, and therefore, I think it's extremely important that people try to develop that uh, you know the, the their adaptation skills and capacities um, to face uh, the different countries or different challenges, uh, because uh, the way the world is going, uh, we will need to face lots of new, uh, urgent uh, uh, and, and rather big challenges uh, during the next decades. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Did you, uh, did you find, were there any sort of challenges in terms of, from you personally, in terms of because uh, I'm conscious that it all sounds very plain sailing at the moment. Your career in the were there what, what sort of challenges apart from the, the cultural and the, the, those aspects? Were there any challenges in terms of work-wise coming up against people or anything like that, or was it all was it all plain sailing? Well, I mean, no. I mean, of, of, of course not. You know, uh, I uh, I applied to a, to to a, to a couple of other jobs before um, you know before uh, uh, landing the job at, at the RSPB, um, and and there were problems, of course, uh, in, in my PhD uh, um, and, and and so on. But I think, I mean, I think when um, one um, aspect that was also important was. Um, uh, that that I I had a little bit of experience um, uh, having practical experience on a, on a certain subject. Um, even some some does help uh, does help uh, with with future career prospects. So um, I uh, I started my PhD in birdsong because during my university years in Lisbon. Uh, there were there was uh, a couple of researchers who were doing work on birdsong, and I volunteered to help them with field work, uh, and therefore uh, you know I had already some practical experience on you know on on, on recording birds, uh, handling the microphones and so on in a field environment, um, which which I could show. Uh, eventually to, to, to the University of Nottingham when I applied to a PhD on, on, on birdsong. And likewise, uh, when I applied for the job uh, in, in the RSVB, I could show that uh, I, I had a practical uh, field experience uh, on a number of bird conservation projects because that's um, because during during summer outside outside of, of my job so this this would be outside of my PhD in during during my summers or during my holidays I would um, you know uh, volunteer uh, in, in, in in for one week in a project or or, or go and and, and uh, proactively look um, for an opportunity to help a colleague or a friend that that was doing a conservation project, you know, on wolf, on uh, uh, seabirds, whatever. I said, well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go there. I'll stay with you one week. I'll help you. Uh, I'll, I'll be an extra pair of hands. Uh, and, and through it, I would learn. I would get experience. And then I think that was very helpful uh, uh, when uh, when applying for, for a job later at, at the RSVB. So I think one, one suggestion I... Um, I can I can give to um, uh, to students and and you know early conservationists apart from 
the adaptability um, issue that we just talked about is really the, the need and the importance of having practical experience uh, in, in projects uh, uh, in the field um, uh, through volunteering through helping helping out uh, and that is certainly very important when, when applying for a job later on absolutely that's i mean that, i'm glad you said that that's something i i talked to to students about because i if i go back to myself i wasn't an academic I, 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 you know but i love being out in the field so i got as much field experience and i think also one of the advantages i tell people is you meet people as well so you never know that that yeah. person that you helped you know survey might one day be the head of a certain organization and you know absolutely. You so yeah um networking as well so yeah absolutely Okay, so let's go back to the VCF then. So you you started. You're at the VCF. Where does when when you're given a, a can I call it a challenge of of upscaling and developing a, a, a small organisation, which potentially you're working on some fantastic. You're, you're stood on the shoulders of some fantastic work that's already gone on with the bearded vulture, but then there's so much potential to to you know put your own ideas into it how much free range did you have then or, or what we'll, we'll talk about the challenges that that you faced to begin with um yeah when yeah. you took over the reins in fact in fact that was actually one of the um uh, one of the things that really attracted me attracted me in, in this challenge was that um i was given a lot of uh, uh, a lot of possibilities. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I was given in, in many ways a blank sheet uh, to, to 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 fill in. Uh, so so and and that was for me really really interesting. Particularly after uh, after having worked in the RSB, uh, the RSB is a very large organization um, and, and a very successful organization and a very good organization. But obviously, uh, you know, more than uh, 100 years old, the processes um, uh, and, and the directions and the, and the decisions are, you know, quite well shaped uh, and, and taken by uh, uh, for, 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 for many years, uh, while with the VCF, um, uh, the, the the opportunity there was okay. I mean, we, you know, we 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 do captive breeding of birded vultures. We reintroduce birded vultures in 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 the in the wild, and we need to continue to do that. That's fine. But then uh, there, there's a, a, a whole world out there in terms of vulture conservation that we can actually uh, start uh, working on and 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 it's up a little bit to uh, to, to me and 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 the the small team at the time that was working in in, in the vcf to to decide and and, and evaluate uh, and then uh, um and then try and and uh, so that so, and, and that that challenge that that aspect of of really shaping an organization you know uh, uh, and, and developing a, a program from almost from scratch uh, was indeed a, a great um, a great challenge i mean so we we set up a strategy we uh, we tried to identify priorities um we were uh, we were very very careful um, I mean, and, and this is really one of the, 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 the most important principles of, of NGO management and, and development. You need, you need to be conservative and you, you need to be cautious with the, with, with the sustainability of the whole operation in terms of funding. So, you know, you, you, need, you need to be realistic. You need to know how much money you have, uh, how much money you can ha eventually have in, in, a, in a realistic uh, uh, yeah. way. Um, 
and then aim for for things to do with with that money you you, you cannot you can you can dream uh, but but uh, you need to act uh, with the the capacities and the conditions that you have around you yeah. uh, because if you exaggerate um, if you uh, if you start spending the money that you do not have uh, hoping that it will fall on your on your lap uh, one day um, you might actually ruin your organization uh, uh, and and uh, um, you know your and your organization might have very noble uh, objectives, uh, but if it doesn't really work for, in a in a practical in a practical way, so setting up quite um, uh, quite professional, sound, solid processes and mechanisms within an organization that is also really important. Yeah, a very good, a very good account, uh, you know, uh, uh, accountancy and, uh, and and reporting, financial reporting uh, processes. Um, that is absolutely crucial. We ask money from the European Union. Uh, we ask money from people. We ask money from, from, from other foundations. We need to report back on what we do with the money. We need yeah. to show what we've done with the money. So, so having, having uh, uh, those um, uh, more bureaucratic and administrative processes, but absolutely essential, uh, but absolutely necessary. This is very essential. Then having also um, uh, some human resources administration, people, staff, uh, you know, you, uh, me, others are, are what, what really moves organizations. Yeah. Um, uh, and you need to, to take care of, 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 of those people. So you need to, you need to think uh, uh, about obviously their their technical skills and what they can do in in, in, in in real terms, but you also need to 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 think about their career, uh, their the the their salary, uh, the um, the you know the social security, career prospects, uh, and and so on. So so also thinking a little bit about how you can make um, people that are working with you feel good, feel secured, feel valued. Uh, is 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 quite um, is is quite important, uh, and uh, so yeah. So I mean, uh, my day, in fact, uh, as as a director of of an NGO, uh, these days is is mostly uh, spent uh, on you know spreadsheets, um, contracts, uh, fundraising proposals, rather than you know out in the field um, looking yeah. at vultures, monitoring well, vultures. We do have staff that does that, uh, but in order for that staff to do that, somebody will need to uh, find the money, yeah. uh, you know, at administer. And it's not only me, of course. I mean, you know, that there is a, a financial uh, officer and manager that 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 helps me uh, manage the finances. Um, there, there's some other people, uh, for example, that um, uh, help me report back to donors and do project management. But uh, but this element, I mean, uh, it is it is extremely important. An NGO cannot cannot exist uh, with uh, uh, only with people that go out to the field and do the field work. Uh, you need to have a back office. You need yeah. to have a structure, uh, you know, uh, that that is often uh, unseen and unsung, but yeah. which is extremely important yeah, for the yeah. whole thing. Uh, to 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 work well, and uh, part of my job is uh, is making sure that 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 structure is there and works. I feel I feel like 
Um, I've literally just had a masterclass in running an NGO, which is fantastic coming from someone who runs a teeny tiny little charity in the UK. That's what I was I was literally thinking. I'm, I'm so glad I'm recording this so I can listen. <laughs> Listen back to it. That's brilliant. but you're absolutely right. And and, and, and my um, Raptor is tiny, so I can't use that as an example. But Raptor study groups here in the UK, we have Raptor study groups, and I'm involved in a few Raptor study groups. Um, and I've said exactly the same thing: is I love doing the field work. I love being out there monitoring, climbing trees, abseiling, and all that sort of thing. But you're absolutely right. The the one of the best raptor study groups I'm in is because we have got such a fantastically diverse group of volunteers, and it's always the people that do the the what I would consider the crappy jobs, like the sending out newsletters and doing stuff that I wouldn't know where to start but it's so critical because it's yeah and they're so valuable the secretarial work and all that so it's really interesting it's you know whether it's a big NGO or a little Raptor study group that are all volunteers um yeah that's that's it's fantastic so do on a personal level then do you do you it appears that you really enjoy that you clearly obviously really enjoy that aspect of it do you miss the out the field work? So when the field guys and girls come in and they put the binoculars down and say, I've seen this and this is happening and this is breeding, does it, do, do you like want to throw Excel on the floor and <laughs> grab no. your Of course I miss it. I, I, I miss it. Uh, and therefore I, uh, I, try, I try to, um, uh, to go out. Uh, you know, not as much as I would like, but I try to go out a little bit. It is also important. It is also important uh, for me to know what they are talking about. Uh, one cannot then also, I mean, I, I, you know, I've done field work during my PhD and during my university. So, you know, I, uh, obviously I've got a lot of, of past field work, but uh, one, can, one can, can slowly lose a little bit the, 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 the feel. Uh, if if one stays too much time in front of the computer, uh, and uh, and it is I think quite important for me to. So what usually happens is um, uh, there are we as I mentioned we we do have got uh, uh, we are involved in ten large scale projects across Europe. These projects inevitably uh, sometimes have got some problems. There are some some management uh, uh, meetings in you know around the project where we review progress, where we review expenditure and, and all that. Um, but what what we always try to do is uh, then uh, use those meetings to actually go and visit uh, the project site to see the work that uh, that uh, is being done, uh, the successes and the failures. To talk with the field people, um, and therefore, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to indeed uh, visit um, um, most of the sites where we are doing projects in Europe, um, and 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 go out there for a couple of days um, and and do a little bit of field work and at least talk certainly talk yeah. with the people that are there and that is extremely important it is i i jump into that opportunity uh, you know uh, whenever i can because uh, you know it's um, it's 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 a pleasure uh, yeah. uh, it's and, and it's also necessary oh yeah it's good good for the soul yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about the birds then themselves, obviously the vultures. So you said there's four species, is that yeah. right, that you, you focus on? So obviously we've, we've mentioned the bearded vulture. Do you want to touch on the other three and by all means elaborate on the projects that you're, you're covering at the moment with yeah, them? So, so with vultures, I mean, you know, you, vultures, first of all, vultures are, uh, uh, are nature's cleanup crew. Uh, they are they are scavengers. Uh, you've got old world vultures and new world vultures. Uh, they are actually different families. Um, uh, they 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 occupy the same niche. They are both scavengers, but they are actually coming from two different uh, uh, two different uh, roots. Uh, and in fact, uh, for example, a very big difference between the new world vultures and old world vultures is that old world vultures, so our vultures, the vultures of Africa, Asia, and Europe, uh, they detect uh, the dead meat, the dead carcasses. Um, by sight, uh, mostly by sight, uh, also using other species, other scavenger species, the kites and the ravens, as uh, you know, as cues to what's happening uh, around them. While um, New World vultures, uh, some species of New World vultures actually detect them by uh, by smell. They can smell, uh, which is not the case of of uh, old world uh, old world vultures. Uh, one when one may think that because rotten you know rotten carcasses smell very bad, that vultures find um, our vultures find the the carcasses by smell, but it's not it's not uh, the the case. Um, so vultures are extremely important. They are nature cleanups crew. They they really get rid of uh, dead carcasses in in the wider countryside. Uh, they specialize on that. They occupy that niche. That is very important because of course if um, scavengers did not exist there would be uh, probably a lot of uh, uh, a lot of problems with disease transmission with uh, you know uh, bad smells and, and so on pollution uh, from from decaying bodies and so on across the countryside because both wild and domestic uh, um, animals ungulates die uh, and 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 uh, the most efficient system to, to, to get rid of them is having a vulture descending uh, or a group of vultures descending on a, on a dead sheep or in a dead cow and completely consuming it uh, in, in two or three hours. Uh, and nature uh, is so wonderful that the, uh, the, the four species of vultures that, that occur in Europe, so the bird vulture, the griffon vulture, the, the, the cinereus vulture and the Egyptian vulture, um, uh, it, uh, you know, evolution shaped them uh, to use different parts of the of the body of the carcass, uh, so that in fact the whole carcass would be clean down to the bones, and that's what actually the birded vulture eats. They, it's it's called in, in in other countries the bone breaker or the bone eater because eighty percent of the diet of the birded vulture is, uh, is is a bone. They ingest the bone. The uh, of course what is what is nutritive in the bone is the bone marrow. Uh, the bone marrow actually stays nutritive even you know one or two years after the bone is there exposed to the to the elements it still keeps the nutritive value of the bone marrow okay. so the, what they do is they ingest the bone and then they digest it uh, very very quickly they've got a very um, acidic uh, stomach and of course absorb the the, the, the you know the whatever they can take out of the of the bone marrow but yeah so so um, uh, the the, the griffon vulture would arrive first to a carcass would open it. It's the one without feathers on the neck, and yeah. it doesn't have any feathers on the neck precisely because of that, because it usually is the one that goes really, in, you know, in, in the beginning when, when all those organic juices are floating around. And if it had feathers on the neck, the feathers would become quite wet, and, and that would 
could cause problems to the animal. So it lost the feathers uh, in the neck in order to be able to to plunge into natural holes of the carcass and start opening it. And then you would have the Cinereus vulture and, um, and the Egyptian vulture around eating scraps, little bits of meat, little bits of you know, uh, cartilaginous material and so on. And then in the end, the birded vulture would come and would, uh, would, would, um, uh, would, would eat the bones. Uh, so yeah, so uh, first message, um, uh, vultures are nature cleanups, crew scavengers, really important uh, uh, ecosystem service. They, 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 they provide the ecosystem with, with a unique and very important system. Second message I would like to leave is that vultures are really in a very um, big crisis worldwide particularly in Africa and Asia, where their populations have declined or are declining very significantly. Uh, Europe is the only continent in the old world where actually vultures are uh, recovering, where there is actually a lot of conservation success. Um, and, and this is really important because unfortunately biodiversity is being lost uh, at, at a great pace. And there are relatively few positive examples of conservation success. Vultures in Europe uh, are one such uh, example. Uh, the populations of vultures in Europe today uh, are um, much bigger than they were 100 years ago. Uh, the distribution ranges of vultures in Europe have recovered. They reoccupied, recolonized former areas where they, they are Disappeared. That's not the situation in Africa and Asia. In, in Asia, vultures disappeared almost completely. There was a decline of 99% in the Indian subcontinent, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and so on, because of a veterinary drug called diclofenac. Uh, which uh, appeared in the Indian subcontinent um, a few decades ago and uh, which is toxic to vultures and decimated uh, the populations of vultures. They are still extremely rare and they're only starting to recover now. But I mean, the declines were 99%. Africa, uh, the problem there is poisoning. Uh, vultures eating poison baits. Most of the time, these poison baits are not destined to the vultures. They are not meant to, you know, the people don't want to kill the vultures. They want to kill the lions, the hyenas, the jackals that, uh, that create, you know, some conflict with livestock breeders and farmers. They put, they put poison baits, the vultures descend uh, uh, upon them and they die in, in, in very large quantities. So um, seven species of African vultures are now on, uh, on the verge of extinction. Um, and, and, and the populations have been declining uh, very, very fast. Europe is indeed the only continent in the old world where the situation is, is rather positive. Um, so um, uh, out of those four species that I mentioned, uh, three of them uh, have really increased a lot in population and in range in the last um, 30 to 40 years. Griffin vulture population, Griffin vulture, which is the, the, the most common vulture in, in Europe. It's the one that you are most likely to, 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 to see when you go to Portugal, when you go to Spain, when you go to France, and so on. It has increased a lot, 200% in, in Western Europe. Um, there are now uh, over th uh, 30,000 breeding pairs of griffon vulture in Spain alone. Um, uh, so, you know, that, that, that has increased a lot. Cinereus vulture again, uh, once down to 250 pairs in Europe, there's over now three and a half thousand pairs 
in, in, in Europe. Um, Birdit Vulture, as I mentioned, uh, once was down to, to, to the Pyrenees and, and to islands in the Mediterranean. It has now been reintroduced in the Alps. It has been reintroduced in Andalusia, and this is projects done by the VCF. So there are now wild populations back in the Alps, wild populations back in Andalusia, uh, and we are reintroducing it um, into other mountain ranges, one in France, in the Massif Central, between the Pyrenees and the Alps, and one in a mountain in Maestrasgo, between the Pyrenees and Andalusia, and we will be reintroducing it in the Balkans in, 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 the, near, in the near future. Um, so, so Really positive story, uh, story of, of, of population growth. The only species in Europe that is still, uh, it's stable overall, but still declining locally in some areas, notably, for example, the Balkans, is the Egyptian vulture, which is Europe's smallest vulture. It is also um, the only migratory vulture uh, that uh, uh, long distance migratory vulture that spends the winter in Africa. Uh, and that also partly explains the reason why um, it has not increased as significantly as, uh, as the other three species and, uh, and that the species that we are worried about. And in fact, we've got a number of projects working with Egyptian vulture to try to, to reverse this, uh, this situation. Before you ask me the, the next question, let me just tell you that in fact, Europe is getting a fifth, uh, a fifth vulture species, the Rupel's vulture. Now this is uh, this is an African species, yeah. uh, which uh, you know had never been seen in Europe uh, until about twenty years ago, when uh, a couple of individuals were starting you know started to appear, and now be is becoming uh, uh, rather regular uh, in, in in Western Europe, and we are just waiting for the first breeding uh, breeding of the species. Uh, we know that it, it, it has already uh, attempted to breed a few times with griffon vultures, mixed yeah. couples, hybrid, hybrid couples, never really uh, succeeded, uh, but it's a question of time before uh, Rupel's pairs, because you know groups of four and five have been seen together. Now, why do they, why, why did they appear in Europe? Um, well, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned about the, the growth of the population of, of griffon vultures. Uh, griffon vultures are partially migratory. Uh, so a, a small percentage of the griffon vultures from Spain in particular still uh, winter uh, in Africa. So they cross the Strait of Gibraltar and they go down West Africa and they, they winter, you know, in, 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 in West Africa, uh, in, let's say, Senegal. In yeah. the, the area around around Senegal, obviously, with the growth of the population of the griffon vulture, the number of of immature young vultures that that does this trip has increased a lot. And what happened was in the last few years, when they arrive in Senegal, we meet some some Rupel's vultures, which are relatively rare there, but there are a few. They meet there, and what happens is when they then migrate north in the spring, they pull these Rupel's vultures. Yeah. Uh, you know, to Europe. And then the Rupel's vultures here in Europe actually find uh, a rather, a rather uh, benign environment, a rather adequate environment in the sense that there is, there is, there's food, 
which also explains the growth of the um, uh, of the, the, the Griffin vulture. Um, uh, and there are relatively limited threats, uh, which again explains why European vultures are, uh, are, are doing well, because we've managed to mitigate um, uh, most of the threats affecting European vultures, and therefore they thrive, they, they, and they stay. And so it's a question of time before Europe gets the fifth species, um, the Rupus vulture. Fantastic. Well, I just want to obviously you mentioned that you've covered this well, the globe with the, the vultures there, except for the Americas, which is fine. What what do you what do you put it down to that there's obviously a, there's various factors that have impacted vultures in Europe? You, you know, you've touched on a couple of there. What the mitigate what are the mitigating reasons that you've you, you feel you've managed to increase populations or um, you know stabilize them in the case of the Egyptian vulture it, uh, it it's very simple it's to we need to act on the threats to vultures and the threats to vultures are actually global they are the same in in the Americas in Africa in Asia um, uh, and so so why we have been so successful in Europe uh, is because we have uh, managed to mitigate those threats better than in other continents. Uh, uh, partly because uh, there's uh, really two or three things that happen here in, in Europe. We've got excellent legislation. Um, and, and I have to say that uh, uh, the European Union, and I know that you know uh, the, the UK is going through uh, the Brexit yeah. process, the very painful Brexit process, but the European Union Nature Conservation Legislation, the Birds and Habitats Directive, is... A, the world's best nature conservation direct, uh, legislation that really provides the right framework for nature conservation. So that's very important. Second thing, conservation investment. Uh, so governments, European Union, national governments, consider conservation relatively important. Of course, we are always arguing we, they should give more money to conservation, yeah, yeah. but there is still a, a, a rather, you know, a lot more money to, for conservation in Europe than there is in, Afri in Africa and Asia. And therefore this conservation in investment pays off. If you invest in, in conservation projects in the species, you can revert, uh, you can revert the, um, the, the, the decline of, of, of the species. And, and indeed, um, it's no surprise, for example, that Europe is actually the, the, the best continent in terms of biodiversity um, uh, uh, loss, or, or I mean, the best continent in terms of, of keeping the biodiversity. We haven't actually had uh, uh, an extinction of, of uh, a bird species or of a, a large mammal for, for the last, uh, you know, many, many, many decades. Yeah. Um, uh, and in fact, our rarer uh, uh, wildlife has actually increased ever, everywhere. The wolf, the bear, the lynx, um, the eagles. Uh, so because there's been that conservation investment. And then the third factor that is also very important is, um, is the know-how. Uh, we do have got know-how in Europe, uh, very excellent researchers. Uh, uh, and research is important because it underpins conservation action. And then practitioners, NGOs, uh, technical staff that, that know, 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 know their trade. Now, um, uh, the, the threats are the same, and, and the main threats to vultures uh, very quickly. Poison, number one. Yeah. So, uh, because it is an indiscriminate, uh, uh, it is uh, indiscriminate way of killing wildlife. Uh, and it's usually, 
it's illegal, totally illegal. Uh, as, as I mentioned, it's mostly associated with uh, human wildlife conflict. It's when farmers, hunters, or livestock breeders want to get rid of a certain predator, be it an eagle, be it a wolf, a jackal, or a fox. They put poison. The problem with poison is that it kills indiscriminately, and it kills mostly also scavengers. So vultures can die. If you put a carcass of, of you know, a sheep uh, laced with 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 the carbofuran in the middle of the countryside in in Spain, uh, you can kill 150 vultures, adult breeding vultures. If you put the same thing in the UK, you can kill 50 red kites, adult breeding red kites, uh, and that has got a devastating impact on the demography of the population. Then, very important, um, electrocution and collision, vultures um, electrocution possibly more than, than collision, but vultures very often um, perch on um, medium tension electricity pylons and medium tension electricity pylons, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the line is very, very close to, to the pylon. And if they touch on the line while they are still uh, perched on, on the pylon, they get electrocuted because yeah. there is a connection to the earth. Um, and this is a very significant problem uh, for a, a number of vultures. Sometimes they collide against uh, wind farms, against lines themselves when in periods of bad weather, um, or against, for example, ski, uh, ski, res ski infrastructure on the top of, of, uh, of the mountains. Third, uh, uh, very uh, important threat, um, food. Vultures need food. So in places where, for one reason or the other, there is no dead carcasses available, they, they, do, they will not leave. Um, uh, fortunately, uh, through, again, through European new legislation, uh, we have been able to change the, 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 the veterinary carcass management system in many countries to allow for the farmers to actually leave some animal uh, byproducts you know, from livestock uh, farms. There's, there's always a little bit of mortality, you know, sheep, cows, uh, young cows and all that. Um, uh, you know, in, in many countries in, in, in Europe, particularly in Southern Europe, it is possible for farmers to actually leave uh, some of those uh, dead animals for vultures. Uh, and that has been instrumental in, in, in helping them increase the population because they do have got the food uh, uh, that they need to, um, to live. Uh, so in, in places where that doesn't exist, we can think about establishing supplementary feeding sites for vultures. Um, this is, of course, not the most sustainable and long-term solution. Ideally, uh, they should find their food, you know, either in farms or in, you know, from wild ungulates. But as a as a temporary conservation measure, it is possible, and we are using it in in, in our in our projects. Then two other threats that I would like to um, to mention before um, uh, uh, before finishing on on, on the threats. Veterinary uh, medicine, obviously, um, uh, so, so, such as diclofenac, uh, very toxic to vultures. So if diclofenac, for example, would be present uh, in Europe, um, then vultures would die uh, like, like, they, like they did in, in, in India. Um, 
vultures in Europe do consume not 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 all uh, and, and, and not 100%, but uh, for example, griffon vultures in in Spain uh, they do consume quite a lot of domestic livestock uh, carcasses, yep. uh, and obviously we need to we need to to be careful with what what antibiotics and and, and veterinary drugs going to these um, uh, carcasses because they may have an impact. They may be toxic to vultures or they may have an impact on on their breeding. And then finally, the last threat, lead uh, from ammunition. Yeah. Uh, incredibly, we still are poisoning our environment by hunting with lead. Uh, we've uh, banned lead from everything else. We've banned lead from petrol. We've banned lead from paint. We've banned lead from, from everything else because it is toxic. It is toxic to humans. It is toxic to, to animals. But we are still allowing uh, hunting um, to use lead ammunition, both the lead shots uh, that is used, uh, you know, hunting uh, in, uh, decks in wetlands, or the the lead bullets uh, that is uh, that are used when hunting uh, deer uh, and, and and big game. The problem with lead is that, of course, then if uh, well, if if a person eats an animal with lead. Uh, uh, can I mean if, if we eat a lot of game meat, uh, uh, we can actually have got problems, and, and therefore there are uh, uh, national health regulations advising, for example, pregnant people and uh, and and children not to eat a lot of game um, uh, because of the of the danger of, of lead poisoning. And equally, vultures, if they uh, feed a lot on the carcasses of game that have been shot with lead. Um, uh, pick up that lead, accumulate it, and then they can even, you know, they can die of, of lead poisoning or they can have sublethal uh, effects and, and, and have, um, you know, problems with breathing and so on. So what we are uh, advocating is a substitution uh, and there are alternatives out there uh, uh, that are currently even uh, at the same price um, uh, of, you know, uh, lead, non-lead bullets that can be used, copper bullets and, and other types of, of, of metal, uh, so that we clean our environment from, from that. So it's working on this range of threats uh, with money, with people, with good legislation and with government involvement that we succeeded in, uh, in having this wonderful story of vulture restoration and comeback in Europe that we have uh, that we have at the moment. Yeah, it's fun. well, it is. It, it's I've followed VCF for for a long time, and it's yeah, it's fantastic the work that you do. Just quickly touch on um, don't don't worry about going into each of the ten projects, but obviously you've mentioned captive breeding as as one of the the sort of hands on things that you do. Are there what other just to explain to people that are listening? What other sort of things that you do? apart from releasing birds into the wild are there any other hands-on well, all, all of our projects including the, the the reintroduction projects include actions on these threats that i've just mentioned because we cannot you know we would we cannot release birds for them to be shot at for them to die of poison for them to die of electrocution and in fact when we start the reintroduction project uh, we 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 need to do a feasibility study, yeah. and we need to, and then we need to, uh, um, you know, uh, be sure that we have got the partners and the money to while releasing birds. Mini, we, we can uh, also minimize the threats that I just mentioned. So if we are releasing birded vultures in an area, 
we 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 are we have got actions uh, fighting poisoning so we are working with hunters and livestock breeders we are we are insulating uh, electricity pylons uh, with the local electricity companies and our local partners we are working with local hunters to try to change from lead to non-lead ammunition and so on so this is really the i mean our typical vulture conservation project be it reintroduction or not uh, is about mitigating these threats so there'll be Anti-poisoning, working with the police, making sure that uh, you know we, if poisoning happens, we do toxicological analysis uh, and we take it to the police, and hopefully um, they 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 try to to find the culprit and take him to to, to court. Uh, working with electricity companies, working with farmers to make sure that they've got food um, and and um, and so on. Uh, on on reintroduction, uh, I mean, it, it's true that we um, it's one of our our added values and, and one of our strong points. Uh, still today, we are the only people that are that is doing. We are the only organization that is doing captive breeding of, of birded vultures. In fact, most of the captive stock of birded vultures in the world is still managed by the VCF. We've got about 180 birds in captivity purely for introduction. We established partnerships with quite a lot of zoos. Um, you know, some, some of these birds are held in um, specialized captive breeding centers that we manage ourselves, but we, we then put uh, pairs of operated vultures in zoos uh, under an agreement with them, uh, and, and we work hand in hand with, uh, with, with zoos. Um, so so uh, we do, we do this, this captive breeding and, and reintroduction. With griffon vultures and with scenarios vultures, we do not need to do captive breeding to do reintroduction and restocking, because uh, as I mentioned, their population in, in Europe has increased a lot. We never ever, capture animals from the wild to reintroduce or restock. That's one, one basic principle because we don't really want to, you know, it creates a precedent of catching catching birds in the wild, subtracting it from wild population. But what happens is um, because their populations have increased, uh, more and more, lots of them uh, are found weakened or injured a little bit everywhere. Yeah. Uh, lots of young birds that fly into areas with no food uh, and then they, 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 they just just you know, they run aground and they are picked up, and they, they go into wildlife rehabilitation centers. So what we do is we then have got a, a agreements with, um, particularly Spain, with the governments of Spain, with the regional governments of Spain, and once those birds go through rehabilitation, rather than being re-released in Spain where the population is very healthy, we've got an agreements with these uh, governments, and then we send them to other countries. Uh, uh, so we we are introducing scenarios vulture in Bulgaria with Spanish birds. Yep. Uh, we are introducing um, uh, restocking small island populations of griffon vulture in Cyprus or in Sardinia, for example, with griffon vultures coming from Spain, from rehabilitation centers in Spain, uh, with the protocols that we have with um, with the, the authorities, uh, with the authorities there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Who do you, I was just, when you were talking about the different mitigate, mit, mitigations you have to deal with, uh, and knowing what we've discussed previously with your position in the BCF, who do you find easier to work with 
hunters and and um, landowners and farmers or bureaucrats which is so you because you've got two ends of the scale there you know you're dealing with the people on the ground i'm a farmer's son so i know how difficult farmers can be um but then of course you've got the people in the suits i've seen you know you you attending conferences all over the world you know flying the flag for vultures which is which is the easiest to tackle uh, well, all of them, all of them have got, uh, all of them have got uh, difficulties and, and 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 qualities. I, I I would say, and it's extremely important. It's extremely important to to talk with all of them. Uh, you you absolutely need to talk with hunters and engage with hunters and livestock breeders. Um, but you 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 cannot ignore the decision makers and the politicians uh, or the funders because uh, if they don't give you money or if they don't change the policy. Uh, then uh, all the work that you've done with the livestock breeders and uh, goes goes down the drain, and and that is actually the beauty of uh, you know. And I go back to birded vulture and our our flagship project. That's actually the beauty of of, of the birded vulture introduction. When he, the the species is is, is absolutely amazing, the birded vulture. I mean, if you ever look, if if you ever see a birded vulture close by, or if you see it flying past by you very close, you, you know you'll you'll never forget. Uh, it, it is it is it is a charismatic species. It is a beautiful species. Um, it's it's um uh, and uh, and and the beauty of of this project. I mean, it's a very successful project. So we brought back a species. You know, from extinction, uh, we reintroduced it, and that is that is also quite uh, quite symbolic. Uh, and the beauty of this project is that it has been really a, a door opener uh, to um, to work with all these groups. Um, you know, we can if we now speak about about birded vultures in Spain or in France, everybody wants to come and 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 uh, and work with us. Uh, people see. The, the positive aspects of, of this project. This is very important because that's not the case with all wildlife. You know, if you go to Spain or to France, um, and if you if you speak about wolf, uh, half of the room leaves, uh, and and uh, and you might actually have got uh, your car uh, damaged uh, when you go outside of the room right. because there is so much hatred, polarization, tension. Uh, about some of these wildlife issues. And that's not the case with the birded vulture. Um, so the, the, the birded vulture uh, is one of those projects that you know is positive, is well liked by everybody. Uh, we collaborate with hunters, with livestock farmers, with tourism associations, um, with, with, with local politicians um, in, a, in a collaborative and engaging way. And it has become, it has become really a, a good example of, of you know, how multidisciplinary conservation uh, can, can make um, a, a, an impact uh, and, and produce results in, uh, in the world. I mean, and, and this this, you know, you, you could see this even with one individual birded vulture that stayed in the UK. Of uh, yeah. One bird, one bird that stayed in the UK this summer, and suddenly the whole, there was all this interest, lots of different people from different backgrounds, uh, and we, we, you know, we managed to engage with some protected areas uh, in the Peak District. Uh, we, we reached out to the estate managers, some of the land where the bird was uh, was staying was, you know, grouse shooting uh, estates. 
Uh, so you know we we alerted them about about some of the immediate dangers, uh, and and just to see the reaction of the people, uh, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people that that went to see it, um, is uh, was 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 absolutely amazing. It, well, I was going to come on to this because I was just conscious of time. I don't want to keep you all, all night. But yeah, we, we had to talk about, is it Vigo? Is that how you pronounce it? He was christened? or, or Yeah, so yes. anyone listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, I'm not sure where you've been for the summer if you're interested in birds of prey in Britain. Because obviously a, a Vigo was, you later found out that it was a French bird. But was it hatched from a, a wild nest in, in France? Um, and obviously travelled over to to the UK and spent most of its time roosting in Derbyshire. Um, and like you say, well, it's thousands, I think thousands of people in the end went to see this bird. And then more recently, it slowly um, made its way back down to, uh, yeah, to the south coast. And then is now, I believe, I think I read one of your articles on the, that it's thought to have been seen in, back in France again, was that's right. Yes, it's on the way, it's on the way back to the Alps, in fact. Uh, it, has been seen, uh, it has been seen only two days ago. Well, I mean, we are, we are not 100% sure, but the photographs look good, yeah. and it has been seen very close to the Alps, so it's, it's back to the Alps. I think, I mean, this is the, 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 the only the second bird vulture seen in, in historic times in the UK, yeah. and, you know, you, you know there's a lot of bird watchers and a lot of uh, very keen uh, listers in the UK. Yeah, yeah. The question there was, uh, you know, what is this a uh, wild bird? Is well, first of all, it was not a reintroduced bird because it didn't have any rings, it didn't yeah. have any GPS, so it was clearly a, a bird that came from a, from a wild nest. The most the most amazing thing is that uh, we actually managed to to identify the nest where it came from. And we, we managed to identify the nest where it came from simply because, because of that reintroduction project in the Alps. We do a very close monitoring of the population, including genetic monitoring. So what happens is uh, our network of partners, uh, you know, they monitor the breeding pairs. And then uh, after the breeding season, they go to the base of the cliffs where these birds uh, nest and they collect the, the, the feathers. Uh, and you know we do uh, we we try to to do a, a, a genetic fingerprinting of the whole population. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what happened was in the UK, uh, uh, somebody uh, we, I mean we knew that we knew that we had the genetic database of the population in the Alps. So if somebody could actually collect some feathers, there would there would be some good chances that if the bird came from the Alps. Um, you know, we could we could actually match it, and yeah. indeed that happened. Somebody somebody uh, saw it roosting, and somebody saw a couple of very small feathers falling down. So when the bird was not there, went to collect them uh, without disturbing the bird, uh, and then sent us the feathers. We did the genetic analysis, and indeed we can say um, that it actually came from a certain nest in Haute Savoie. In, um, in 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 the French Alps, um, it's a pair that uh, uh, started breeding about uh, um, three years ago, uh, three or four years ago. Uh, we know the parents, uh, who the parents are, um, and therefore the, the the bird fledged last year. This year, the same pair 
uh, unfortunately didn't breed successfully, uh, but it, it bred successfully uh, in, in for, for, for about two or three years. Uh, and then last year produced indeed this individual uh, that eventually made it to, um, to the UK and, and seems to be, uh, to be back to, um, uh, to the Alps, uh, to the Alps now. And, and, and really, you know, because it, it, it went to, to, it was actually seen first in Northern France, then it was spotted in Guernsey, the Channel Islands. Then from there uh, went to Derbyshire. Then it disappeared for a couple of days, and then it appeared in uh, uh, Norfolk yep. uh, or, or yeah, Lincolnshire. I think it went up Lincolnshire, to, to Lincolnshire. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then and then it went, you know, down and and was was seen uh, on the on the on the Channel coast, and finally was actually spotted flying you know into the in, into the english channel uh, in that in the direction of, of france and now it has been seen almost certainly twice in france and it's back in uh, in, in in the alps and it's uh, it's a great story uh, it is only possible because the birded vulture population in the alps has increased a lot you know 60 pairs now there's uh, 35 fledged fled, fledging every year uh, yeah. so it's not going to be the last birded vulture that will appear in the uk if the population continues to increase yeah. uh, and that's a good sign because this means that birded vultures and vultures in general in europe are, are doing very well it's, i mean it's wonderful and it was it was i've been lucky enough to you touched on it before one of my i know this is going to be a question for you at the end in a second um and i know you can't really i I, sh I shouldn't be able to pick out well there's too many that wildlife experiences that i've had with birds of prey but one in particular was i was lucky enough to be on the <clears throat> walking across a plateau on the drakensberg mountains um going towards lesotho <clears throat> and a bearded vulture flew at eye level past as an adult one as well with that red ring oh and I, yeah, I, could, I died and went to heaven that day. Uh, so yeah, I, I've, I've experienced that, and it's, it's so it's wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing one of your vultures with us, because uh, <laughs> I think it gave a lot of people a pick me up in what's been a pretty trying year this year. So yeah. I, I got told off by a friend of, well, he didn't really tell me off. It was probably more his South African sort of way that he, he talks to to people but you a, a friend of yours andre botha we we interviewed andre and i asked him and you know when you ask these que a question and you think why have you just said that i asked him what his favorite wildlife moment was which is a ridiculous thing to ask andre because he's probably seen s some of the greatest spectacles of a whole range of species so i've Give us your not necessarily your favorite vulture moment or your favorite vulture moment or your favorite vulture place where you love to be. If you want to go for a vulture fix, what what hits the spot for you? Well, I mean, I, I would say that it is the Doru, the Doru Canyon in northeastern Portugal on the border between Portugal and Spain. It's a it's a 100 kilometer long uh, deep canyon. Uh, with lots of vultures. Uh, you've got there 500 pairs of griffin vultures. You have 100 pairs of Egyptian vultures. You have Bonelli's eagles. You now have got also a small pop breeding population of Cinerius vultures. Um, beautiful landscape, the, the, the river snaking in down, down there, um, you know, Mediterranean landscape. Uh, and, and, you know, it's that sort of experience. Uh, vultures flying up from the canyon 
and if you are at, at the rim, they just you know they're just at eye level, and you see them you know going up in the thermals and then going to feed. Um, it's it's a it's it's a relatively remote area of of, of Portugal and Spain. Uh, it's very beautiful. There's lots of other wildlife. Wolf is still there. Um, uh, so uh, it's 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 uh, indeed a, and we've got a, a project there, a very special a very special area for um, uh, for me. So uh, you should um, you should go there if uh, you know. I'll, I'll add it to my finally finishes. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, when I'm allowed to leave, yeah, the UK. Right. Um, one more question. We always finish on this question. Would all twenty-seven or however many people I've interviewed now, and um, we always finish on this question. One piece of advice. I know we talked about this earlier, actually. So you might have already given the answer. One piece of advice to give to a young conservationist or raptor biologist. Go on. What What would yours be? Uh, experience in the field. Uh, try to get as much experience in the field as possible, volunteer, track your friends, tag along your friends, uh, and, and be adaptable. Uh, you know, yes, you may, you may want to, 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 uh, to work with the, uh, a certain African eagle species, but it, not, it might not be possible straight away. So if given the chance to work with an eagle species, elsewhere or another species go for it and eventually uh, uh, you know maybe one day you'll reach your target uh, but you know be be relatively flexible and adaptable in your choices and and in your uh, in your priorities and and try to get as much experience as possible fantastic that's a good one uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Right, Jose, thank you ever so much for um, giving up. I know you're a busy, busy man. And um, so I, I really appreciate you giving us your time and, you know, your, your knowledge on VCF. It's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for chatting. It's a me. pleasure. It's a pleasure, Jimmy. And thank you very much. And thank you for all the, the good work that uh, that you, the, you, you, you do there in the in the UK and uh, by, you know, contacting us and, mm. and uh, you know, sharing our our experiences. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, why not give us a subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the up-to-date news on what's going on with the world of Birds of Prey and Raptor Aid.